The scripture reading today is from Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44. But about that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. So this is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is a a Christian celebration of the four weeks leading up to uh, Christmas. And it it comes from the Latin word advenio, which means coming, basically. It's actually the the root of our word adventure. Think about that in those terms. But the season of Advent invites us to live kind of between two worlds. Uh, The world of the past, where God fulfills the promise of Emmanuel, God with us, in the coming of Christ in the birth story and the the Christmas celebration. Of course, as we anticipate Christmas, we, we celebrate Christ's coming again every year. But then we also live in the world of the future where Emmanuel's return happens again, only this time as King of Kings and Lord of Lords to make all things new. That is the the second coming. And in fact, Advent throughout its history has always been this kind of anticipation of Christ's coming again or what we call and theologians call the the parousia. This tension between the celebration of Christ coming into the world and in the anticipation of the parousia or the second coming is consistent with what it is to be Christian. We are all called as followers of Christ to live in the here and now and to live in the yet to come. It is at the heart of our lives of hope that we exist for the day we live in today, and yet there is always something more in our anticipation. And so, as is customary in the lectionary, Advent, the first Sunday of Advent, always begins with a text that kind of focuses on the parousia, or the second coming of Christ, and the hope of Christ's ultimate recreation of the world, and the advent, or the coming, of the kingdom of God that Jesus proclaimed to be at hand. And it always starts with one of these gloomy texts about how judgment is happening. And our text today stands in a series of sayings and parables about a great day of judgment 
that inaugurates the coming kingdom of God. We have this text that kind of describes the fact that no one will know the hour or the day but to keep watch. And then there's several parables that follow about keeping watch. You know, the parable of the bridesmaids uh, or the, who need to keep their lamps lit uh, and wait for the bridegroom or they might miss it. Right, uh, and the terrible and the the parable of the uh, the banquet feast, all of these parables that kind of focus on judgment and being ready for things to happen. Our text today, uh, at the heart of this text, is a warning that no one, not even Jesus, knows when the hour of judgment will come, and so we are admonished to prepare to receive Jesus at all times, and to always be prepared. Be good Boy Scouts, as it were. So this is a difficult text. For the original reader of Matthew, part of the problem is that we don't live in the same world that the community that Matthew was talking to exists. In, in, for Matthew, for the original reader of Matthew, this day of judgment was a word of hope because they lived under the persecution and, and oppression of Rome and the persecution of being a sectarian group in Palestine. In the minds of the original readers, the judgment that was about to come was judgment against the oppressors. And so in that case, it was good news. And they were praying for that day, that great and terrible day of judgment to come so that they might be released of their oppression, they might be released from their persecution. Now for us, who experience relatively little oppression or opposition, and the power and hope of these texts kind of lose their meaning, really. And because of this, there seems to be a couple of different reactions that these kinds of texts have. One, first of all, is, is to ignore it as irrelevant because one has abandoned the notion of Christ coming again as described to us in the Bible, or it just seems so far away that it really holds no relevance. I mean, we've been waiting for 2,000 years. What's the likelihood of it happening tomorrow? And uh, maybe we should just not even worry about it. And so what happens is this: we develop this kind of ambivalence about uh, all these texts that talk about Jesus coming again. The second reaction is uh, to make it the focus of one's faith life and to dwell on the notion that Jesus is coming and searching the newspapers for signs that the end is near and seeing those signs. It's easy to do. It's easy to see those signs all around us. It's always uh, easy to find all the doom and gloom that's kind of described in there. And it kind of produces a, a bit of uh, parousia paranoia, if you will. Uh, so uh, people get a little tunnel visioned about the second coming. And the truth is that neither of these approaches to the texts are really very faithful to the kind of life Christ has called us to. Again, for the early church, the coming of Christ was what helped them hang on. The idea that Jesus was coming 
to make all things right is what gave them hope for the future, particularly when their life was out of, control, out of their own control, when they were under the thumb of an oppressive regime like Rome or, or anything else that was going on that felt oppressive. And when, when your life is out of your own control, of course you pray that Jesus or someone would come and return that control to you or at least get a little vindication going on. But we live in this in-between time. After the resurrection, but before the culmination of all things when God ultimately makes all things new as we're told in Revelation and Isaiah. And while this text tells us to be vigilant as we read the life of Christ, it's clear that Jesus does not want us to just sit and wait. It's clear that if we take the whole of Jesus seriously, that the last thing our Jesus calls us to is to just sit back and wait for Him to come and to make everything all better and to fix all the ills of the world. And in fact, if we read Jesus carefully, it's clear that you and I and every God-fearing person in the world has been empowered to not just sit on our hands and wait, but to be agents of the kingdom of God in that in-between time. And to live it out as ambassadors of the kingdom of God in a world that struggles and desperately needs all that Christ represents. And so we are called to be vigilant, but to be actively involved and living out that which Christ has called us to. And perhaps the hope for us today, as we do, we lit the, the candle of hope, and these gloom and doom texts are ultimately a call to hope for tomorrow and all that Jesus represents. But perhaps for us today, this text is, is not to be seen either as irrelevant because we do not live in oppression or have given up on the second coming or to be seen as the heart of everything it is to be Christian and sit and wait, but to see it as a call to alertness. And perhaps the effect of this for us is that we begin to look for the coming of Jesus not in the clouds, but in the faces of those around us. Perhaps this call is a call to vigilance that will prompt us to scan the faces of the stranger in the hope of seeing Christ's return in their eyes. Imagine if we could learn to see Christ in the worn-out, haggard checkout girl at, at Macy's who is worn out from Black Friday, right? Or the plumber who has responded in the middle of the night. Or the banker who's doing what they are called to do. Imagine if we could see Jesus in the face of our spouse, our children, or our aging parents. How different the world might be if when we gazed into their face, we saw staring back at us, the coming of Christ. 
Imagine if the hope of God with us, Emmanuel, is fulfilled not in trumpet-blasted fanfare, but in the voice of the beggar or the addict or some other person that society labels as marginal or reprobate. In the very next chapter of this same book, this same discourse that we're reading here in Matthew on judgment, Jesus tells us of separating, of a king separating the sheep from the goats and separating the people. And in the story, those who unaware welcomed Christ when a stranger, clothed Christ when He was naked, took care of Him when He was sick, visited Him while in prison. They are the ones who sit at the right hand of the King. And perplexed, they ask, when did we do these things, King? When did we clothe you? When did we visit you? When did we welcome you? When did we feed you? To which Jesus replies, whatever you do to the least of these, my children, you do unto me. So maybe the question today is not that when is Jesus coming again and how do we know when Jesus is coming again and do we just sit back and wait for Jesus to come again, but how do we acknowledge Jesus coming again in the everyday, in the faces of the people we see every day? Especially in this season. I gotta tell you, there's a lot of depression around Christmas time. Can we just be honest about that? There's a lot of depression, amen? It's a, there's a lot of stress around Christmas. You know, we're all expected to, to decorate and be all cheerful and everyone's, who's behind? Am I the only one who's behind on everything that they need to do, right? We can be honest about that. I'm completely behind. And that puts all this pressure on you and then you gotta be happy about it. And you've got, you know, you're being marketed to every five steps by someone somewhere who wants your money. And then there's all these things that you would love to be able to do around Christmas to try and create that experience that, that we have in our minds and our hearts. It's a difficult time. Imagine if we were able, in the midst of that, meet Jesus in the interactions that we have one to another over a cup of coffee with a friend, hanging out, watching TV with your children, going for a walk in the park with your spouse or your partner, having those family gatherings, even those after the arguments about politics when you're just standing around in the kitchen laughing to be able to stop and in the laughter, hear the voice of Christ joining in, laughing along with you, and saying to you, this is what it's about in the in-between time. We're called to wait. We're called to anticipate. We're called to live as though Jesus were coming soon. And yet, we are called to live every day 
like Jesus is right there with us. Because you know what? Hallelujah. Jesus is. Amen? Hallelujah. Jesus is there with us. That's what resurrection is all about. I'm getting ahead. That's Easter, right? (laughs) I don't want to get too far. I don't want to tell you how it all comes out, but that's what it's kind of all about, right? It's about the joy of God with us. Emmanuel. Amen. This is that we are called to live in in this in-between time. It is a hope not only for ourselves and humanity that we are able to see Christ in the least of these, but it is Christ's hope for us as well that we can all experience a life of purpose, not apathy, of fulfillment, not fear for tomorrow, of joy, not sorrow. So as we come to this season of Advent, as we wait with vigilance for the Christ child to come to us once more, we are invited to see that child in every newborn babe and every elder that we come across and every person in between. Let us pray. Great and loving God, the One who was and is and is to come, we thank You for Your constant companionship We thank You that in the in-between times we experience Your coming over and over and over again as often as we can embrace it and acknowledge it and know the truth of it. That You are with us even unto the end of the age. Be with us throughout this celebration and season of Your coming. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.